Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Optive Theology Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt, and I'm here with Pastor Nick Gibson, and we're back with another episode. This is the first time, I think, in like four or five episodes where it's just been you and I. We've had a bunch of guests on, so uh, yep. back back to the basics. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about a, a good, uh, an interesting topic that I think is becoming more and more prevalent in these times and it is uh christian deconstructionism and and what what is deconstructionism what does it mean to to um deconstruct your faith and uh what is deconstructionism as it relates and applies to faith in jesus so this is a big topic there's a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about in this one and so we're going to probably split this up into a part one and a part two um so this is not going to be the full conversation but you'll have to wait till next week to get the entire thing uh but let's but let's start with just the basic question nick do you want to give people an outline kind of an overview as to what what we are going to be talking about as uh as it relates to deconstructionism and and deconstructionists yeah i mean i i we're going to have to do a little bit of background stuff and I'm going to try not to get too far into the weeds, but mm-hmm. having some idea of the background of, um, of the schools that were called deconstructionisms or deconstructionism. Um, we generally, what I hear now is people deconstructing their faith. They'll use that word yeah. or they'll talk about deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and how this works really depends on what context you're in. There are some churches in which, um, pastors who have, essentially change their view of Christian faith will intentionally lead people through deconstruction, Mm. believing that they are helping their faith grow. Yeah. Even though the result is usually them losing and leaving the faith. Yeah. Um, Sometimes it's just, it's, it's something that's just in the culture that people are just kind of taking in with what's happening around them. There's a lot of different versions of it, but um, that's the language that's being used right now for people walking away from the faith and why and how it's happening. Yeah. That makes sense. So, I mean, it, it seems like in the in the past ten years, that, I mean, this has been a popular. I would say it's start. I mean, it's probably started a long, long time ago, and it's made its way into mainstream um, in the last 10, 15 years. But it seems like a lot of people my age are starting to deconstruct their faith. It started, especially over COVID. It seemed like there was a big like boost and maybe people just were bored at home, just started researching what they thought they believed in and whatever. So what in the past 10 years, uh, we've seen a lot of Christians start to deconstruct their faith. Uh, what does that mean? I've I've particularly heard this word relative to people radically changing their faith into a form of agnosticism or leaving the faith. Yeah. Like in the last five years. Okay. Deconstructionism as a school has been around for a while and people, Rethinking the faith and becoming disconvinced of it mm-hmm. has, of course, always been around yeah. forever. As long as there have been humans, humans have changed right. their mind on big issues like what they believe. Yeah. And so some people, when they say that they're they're deconstructing their faith or they've gone through a faith deconstruction, they don't yeah. really mean more than somebody 500 years ago who just lost their faith and became unconvinced of it and said, well, I just don't believe anymore. Mm-hmm. For some people, that's just all it means. It just means I don't believe anymore. Right. But for some people, it is particularly related to deconstructionism. So, okay. So just for the background, um, deconstruction, um, that terminology became popular in academic circles in the like 40s through 60s. Mm-hmm. Became really popular in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. As and it started coming as it came out of a school of deconstructionism, which was a, which was mainly a literature mm-hmm. um, criticism school. So in the 1990s. I came here to UW Madison to hang out with a, a woman who's a friend of mine 
named Tiffany and she was in the UW literature PhD department. Mm-hmm. And I went to three of her classes and all they were learning in their classes were, was deconstruction. In wow. one class, we talked about Foucault and Foucault's deconstruction of power dynamics in one of his books. Another class we went to and they deconstructed the Bible mm-hmm. and they just, they did, they just did deconstruct. That's all they did was like, were they basically like they're in the middle of deconstructing the Bible or they just did it all in one class. They were just talking about like, cause basically deconstruction is like, is like how you read a passage. Yeah. But the tools of deconstruction, you can apply to like a passage in literature, but then yeah. it also applies to anything that's quote a text is okay. how the postmodern writers would have said it. So like a text could be like, I could like what I've said so far on this podcast could be a quote, a text, Yeah. a concept that I believe in like Jesus, the Christ died for our sins and rose for our justification. That's a yeah. text. Right. Like all these things are things that we believe. Mm -hmm. Right. And then what the deconstructionist ask is why other than the reasons you say, do you really believe in these things? Yeah. So in that sense, it's a psychological deconstruction of belief as opposed to a philosophical decision about beliefs. Yeah. So I might say, well, I believe Jesus rose from the dead because the gospel writers say so. All Christians believed that the apostles died for it. Well, I can say all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then a deconstructionist might say, yes, but what do those texts really mean? And why did what power dynamics relative to the status quo led you to be the sort of person who would believe in a resurrection and so on? Does that make sense? Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I will say soon that deconstruction is closely connected to the, the critical schools because it is a critical school. That seems to be a common theme in some of these things like uh, with expressive individualism and now deconstructionism. It's like you, you, a lot of people when thinking about these philosophies or these methods think that they're brand new. They just, this just happened all of a sudden because it's now mainstream. But what, I mean, what we've read in, in books and what we've seen in, um, I mean, and, and what you just talked about was that these have been ideas that have been in academia for decades, and now they're just finally coming to uh, to mainstream, right? Yeah. In, in some ways, it's part of – it goes back to romanticism and the turn to the subjective, right? So it's, it's how yeah. am I experiencing something rather than what is there. Right. So um, Aristotle and then Aquinas, you know – 12, like yeah. 1600 years later, throughout right. this long history of philosophy, there was this idea that there was something outside of you and you were trying to figure out what that was right. and what it meant. And that was a kind of physics or metaphysics and that was philosophy. Yeah. And with the romanticism, there's this inward turn where it's like, no, what's important is how I'm experiencing mm-hmm. it, what it means yeah. to me, mm-hmm. what I find meaningful rather than things, mm-hmm. what, what is the meaning in the thing? It's instead of what I find meaningful mm-hmm. in the thing. That's yeah. why um, if you go back a while there were people who'd argue, you know, if you're an atheist, then you believe life is meaningless. Therefore your life has no meaning. And then people would would say with the inward turn, they'd say, well, that's not really true because I can find meaning in anything, right? Like I can find meaning in a nice sunny day. I can, I can find those things meaningful. And if I find them meaningful, then they're meaningful. Right. And you're kind of like, well, yeah, but you're just deciding that. Right. It doesn't quote have that meaning. That meaning isn't deeper than just your whims. And the answer is, right. well, but who cares? Maybe that's all meaning is. And so part of yeah. part of the critical schools oftentimes is rejecting the existence of higher, deeper, more objective, more external forms of meaning, purpose, and truth. So for yeah. example, like when Karl Marx said that the family, that religion had to be destroyed to be able to really talk about like equality and utopia mm-hmm. and revolution, those sorts of things. 
Um, he believed that like, if you believe in a God and that God says what's there and he, that God defines things, those claims to meaning are going to take precedence over the subjective claims of the critical schools, like economic dynamics that make the proletariat and bourgeoisie and all, and that which creates the oppression and so on. Because you see, if God exists and angels exist and things like that, then hierarchy could exist. And if hierarchy exists, then there could be a structure to society and it might be okay that somebody's in charge and somebody else isn't in charge. And you see, so God has to, the whole idea of God, if God is hierarchical has to go away in order for you to have a classless society. Mm -hmm. Right. So in some ways, critical schools will attack things because they'll say, the reason you believed in God in the first place was because you wanted to rule over your neighbor. It's not the other way around. Yeah. The traditional philosophical person would say, well, what exists? Therefore, how should humans organize themselves? And they say, they would say, no, what happens is human beings organize themselves by oppressions, oppressing each other. Yeah. And then they justified it with all these philosophies and things. The irony in Karl Marx, uh, in Marxism and, and in Karl Marx himself, is that he was the guy telling everybody else how to think and a bunch of people listened to him. So like the, he, he was in a class above other people and that he was the one doing, he was the one uh, that would be, who, who would be, there's a proletariat. Proletariat, right? That's the, what, yeah. The proletariat is the lower classes or lower the working class. classes. Yeah. But he would the have laborers. been the higher class and that he was creating philosophies that millions of people were listening to the same way that, that he would argue that Christians are just listening to God blindly. So are people that I know that are just listening to Karl Marx, right? I mean, you can argue that. I mean, th- this is part of the, part of the issue with deconstructionism is that it, one of the reasons why I think people got tired of it in the early 2000s in mm-hmm. literary schools in certain ways, though they still use it for sure, yeah. is it just gets tiring after a while. Like you basically yeah. just take everything apart until there's nothing. And then either you have to be a hypocrite <laughs> and not deconstruct yourself yeah, so that you can hold all your deconstructed ideas, all the stuff you've torn apart so that you can be yeah. like Thanos standing over the world that you've destroyed, yeah, but still be king yourself. Or yeah. you realize that as Thanos, you should use the glove on yourself yeah. and destroy the reality that is you. Hmm. And nobody really wants to do that. But right. at some point it should occur to an honest person that there's a lot in them to deconstruct and everything they believe about themselves could be subjected to the same critical tools. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And this is one of the difficulties because like when I say that the critical schools come from Marxism, which I do believe, mm-hmm. and that deconstructionism is one set of the subset of these schools. I am not saying that the schools are inherently Marxist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is Marxism is their grandparent ideologically. And the, this idea of criticism, that Marxism criticism became yeah. famous with Marx yeah. and Marxists. Right. Because these were the tools by which you were breaking down the legitimacy of the, cl- of the distinctions in human society. It's institutions, right. it's fundamental medical, metaphysical beliefs. Yeah. The reason why the, why the bourgeoisie should rule over the poor, the, the aristocracy was not, as Burke said, an aristocracy of competency, but it was an aristocracy of power mongering and slavery. Right. right. And so the critical schools aren't in themselves necessarily Marxist. There are plenty of people who use critical tools mm-hmm. in interpreting, t- quote, texts. Yeah. And they do it like, I mean, I would say I would I would say it responsibly, I guess, is the best way to say it. Yeah. Right. There are power dynamics in the world. Those do affect things. Right. The fact that I think Foucault overblew what you could ascribe to power, just as Marx overblew what you could ascribe to economics. 
Yeah. Doesn't mean you can't analyze the power dynamics in a situation or the economic dynamics in a situation. Right. You can do that. Yeah. And so there is a way to think critically yeah. about anything. I th- but the I th- problem is, is that when you, when you put that together with a pissy human nature, yeah. we, it, then it destroys creativity and it becomes destructive Yeah, and it becomes, and it just like, it ends up laying waste to everything in its path, whether it should or not. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I- it's, oh, yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say that the interesting thing that I've seen uh, happen as it relates to the word to critical or the word critical is that mm-hmm. um, it feels like there's this big push in being in critical race theory in recent years or, or critical theory or deconstructionism and the other side the, the other side the people who who didn't ascribe to those types of uh, of ways of thinking about things and those methods they started to say it felt like they started to say well being critical of anything in the past is wrong uh as as a way to fight back of it at it and like mm-hmm. be don't be critical of anything just do uh do what our founding fathers said do 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 what the bible says don't ask any questions just do it and i, mm-hmm. I think that's your point i think that's it, that's really destructive too, because it, I don't think yeah. it leaves room for people to, um, to, to, to ask questions, to l- work through their faith, to work through what they believe has, um, as political theory or, or what they believe in any type of phil- philosophy or, th- or theoretical thing. And yeah. they don't get to talk about anything. And so I, I, I wonder, yeah, I guess the question is like, yeah, I mean, th- this is, is a, this is a problem what you're getting at right there is actually something that's we've discussed before you mm-hmm. and I, at least about like parenting. Yeah, I guess. Right. Yeah. Like what do you do when you're leading and you are utilizing a certain kind of institutional authority that brings order to an otherwise highly chaotic situation mm-hmm. and other people want to question how you're using your authority. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And the way that works in parenting is that if you say, Never question me. Don't talk to me about this. Do exactly what I say. And you come down with an iron fist. Right. You can train kids for a while to do what they're told and to not question you. And it becomes, it becomes relatively efficient. Right. But at some point either they don't think well enough to become full adults because they're just submissive mm-hmm. or they start saying you're a tyrant because right. you do this. However, yeah. if you take the opposite approach, the way a lot of Gen X and millennial parents do, mm-hmm. and they say, oh, I'm going to let my kids talk back to me. Right? I'm going to let my kids question stuff and ask me why, and it'll be more democratic. It, right. Like I'm in, I'm in charge because I'm a parent, but I'm a, I'm in charge because I have wisdom and knowledge right. and I should share that. Right. Yeah. What ends up happening is everything is an invitation for an argument with real kids. Right. And they just argue with you constantly and you right. end up all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, how did I get such a negative, argumentative, right. angry household? And the answer <laughs> is because, because authority is necessary because people aren't good. Yeah. Right. Like the, the low, the quote, lower class in the household, the kids aren't yeah. any morally better than you. Right. The adult who's actually supposed to have grown morally good over time in adulthood. Right. Yeah. What a lot of critical theories do when they privilege the lower classes on purpose and intentionally because they're radical in their nature, that is they're trying to change the world and not just analyze it. Hmm. It, it creates major intellectual problems. And so but, but what I, the thing I want to get at right now is, is that there's a conundrum between those two things. If you say, okay, go ahead and criticize me. Mm-hmm. It does produce argumentative chaos mm-hmm. and the dynamic, the helpful dynamic of the institution falls apart. If you say, don't you dare question me, mm-hmm. right? It often leads to like an overbearingness 
that will undermine the institution as it goes forward. Yeah. And so the question is, well, what do you do? And the answer yeah. is, well, gosh, it's real hard yeah. unless you can establish love. And discernment. I think it goes back to wisdom and discernment too. Like it's, you can't just, yeah, this is, this is what I've been finding to be true about a lot of the topics that we talk about is that people will either be on one side or the other when in reality, there's probably a, and I always hated when people were like, I'm, I can see the middle ground because I think in some things there isn't the middle ground, but in something like this, where it's like, yeah, it's good to be it's good to criticize thing and things that think through them, but it's also good good to respect your authority and to do what they tell you to do. And that's a that's like you have to have discernment and wisdom to do that. You don't just yeah. learn the five ways to do that, you know? Yeah, almost no disagreement is solved by simply splitting the difference. Right. It's just that's just not how it works. Yeah. You have to figure out what's right in the one view and what's right in the other yeah. view because they're almost certainly both right about something. Right. And then actually work to discover the actual dynamics under it and recognize whether or not there's a mm-hmm. truth there or there's a tension to be managed or yeah. whatever. But you're right. You're right. Like I think Jonah Goldberg said, you know, if one person wants to build a bridge over a river, the other person doesn't. A good compromise isn't building a bridge halfway across yeah. the river. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What? Why? Why? Are, so you have something written down here, uh, uh, kind of where I'm highlighting, but. I guess this would this answer the question as to why people are doing this. Like what, what I know that we kind of talked about what deconstructionism is and where it came yeah. from, but why, why now, why is it the perfect time? Does this couple with what we've talked about with expressive individualism? Do these two things come together? Yeah, partly, but I think, I think, uh, I think um, expressive individualism is produced by the results of people living by critical yeah. theories. Okay. I think that's true. Um, I, but I also think that um, critical theories are the perfect hammer in the hands of or sledgehammer in the hands of people who already believe in expressive individualism. Because and that's one of the reasons why I, I in most cases, I don't think it's critical theory. That's the problem. Yeah, I think it's critical theory in the hands of people who want to liberate themselves revolutionarily yeah. from any institutions or any moral constraints that they don't like, but they don't want to deconstruct themselves. Right. And so it's the, that's why a lot of conservative people say that critical, these critical theories are Marxist because they, they aren't just critical in nature. They tend to be utopian. If I can get what I want, everything's going to be fantastic. And they also tend to be revolutionary. I'm going to tear down the things that order human society that already exist. I'm going to deconstruct them, therefore, and therefore annihilate them. That will lead to a new utopia as long as I can individually express myself. Right. And those three things together is what I think makes it sufficiently Marxist to call it Marxist. Yeah. Yeah. And when those three (laughs) things exist, the critical theory, the utopianism, um, and uh, what was the third one I just said? Critical theory, Critical theory utopianism, and um, well, a form of anti-institutionalism. Okay. Um, yeah. You get this like destructive. Yeah. Right. Re- oh, it's, it's right. a revolutionary nature, right? It's, yeah, it's revolution. Like, yep. Yeah, those three things together. That's the Marxist vision. Now yep. you can change. Now, technically, if you change it, the thing you're attacking from the economic relationship of the bourgeoisie and the proletariat to a, in pursuing a classless society, it yeah. is technically no longer Marxism. Because Marxism is an economic theory of those two groups. Yeah. But when you take the heart of that, the revolutionary nature of it, the critical theory, right, the institutionalism and the utopianism, yeah. and you put that together and you say, okay, 
And then you just that you just move sideways. You just start criticizing other institutions or dynamics in human society. Right. It has a similar Marxist feel to it, where you're tearing down the institutions yeah. for a revolutionary goal to a utopian right. society using critical methods. Right. And I just think that that dynamic is anti-human. Mm-hmm. And those the tool of criti- of critical theory mm-hmm. has to exist within the sanctity of somebody who's grown in holiness or wisdom or truthfulness. Right. Right. But the p- part of the issues with critical theory is that it undermines the idea of character and truthfulness. Yeah. Because it doesn't say it's an objective thing that exists outside of us. It's rooted in God. That's rooted right. in our character. That's right. That's rooted in all these external metaphysical realities that yeah. don't matter on your, about your situation or whether or not you're oppressed or whatever. They, they right. always apply. When you wipe that away with your, quote, analysis, mm-hmm. now all of a sudden, what's good? Well, good is approaching the utopia right. and revolutionarily undermining the institution, whatever that is. Right. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, marriage is forced prostitution and you know, parents are tyrannical figures over their children who really should be like right. not ruled over because they're being prepared for democracy and so on. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I guess this leads into our next question is what, what, what are the most popular ways that people are deconstructing their faith? I mean, this is yeah. this. I mean, there are clearly there's almost, in my head. I think of I think of a couple. But you have written down here first uh, deconstructing sexual ethic ethics as uh, biblical sexual Christian sexual ethics. So explain yeah. that. Yeah. I th- so I think there's all in deconstruction, if it's going to be related to Christian faith, it's always going to be related at least partly to the Bible. Yeah. Right. The three things that will, it will always be connected to is the church, the Bible and um, the gospel. Yeah. So the we, message we of Christianity, a TikTok, we did uh, TikTok responses to people who were, I mean, they were literally deconstructing like uh, stories yeah. and verses in the Bible right. uh, on TikTok. Yeah, right, right. And they usually they'll they'll connect those to one application of a present moral vision. The problem with with critical theory, though, is usually their moral vision is extremely unstable. Yeah. And so because of that, they, it'll sound really good in the present, but like oftentimes like they, it, you're kind of like, wait a second, do you really think that? And do you even know what's going on? And like, do you think that's going to be true tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah, right. I, mean, I mean, it's like uh, the the difficult thing about all the deconstruction and stuff, especially on TikTok and the popular mainstream stuff right now, mm-hmm. is that I think that a, a Christian deconstructionist stuff is that a lot of these people have really have a horrible understanding of of the Bible as it is. Uh, what type of writing these like they don't understand what the bible is they don't think they think that the bible right. is just this instructional manuscript that everything in it is god telling us to do it and it's like you don't think about that about you know anything in history like just because there was a yeah, war doesn't mean that that's an there's some some stuff in the bible that is there to show you what not to do right like it's yes. her, it's horrifically bad right. and like yeah one of the people we, de- we were deconstructing his deconstruction right. he was like yeah there's this place where this woman gets cut up into 13 pieces as you're like, right. you're like, right. That's yeah. the climax of the book of judges right. where things have gotten as bad as they can possibly get. Right. And yeah. in the complete moral right. breaking of everything, this yeah. thing happens yeah. because people are recognizing how bad it's gotten. It's supposed to be horrifically gruesome. And you're supposed right. to say, there's nothing good about this. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That's what God is saying. You agree with right. God. It's like bingo. You agree with God. And yeah. then the and you, next... were, you thought you were deconstructing him Yeah, and you're deconstructing him because you agree with him. Right. It's like, it's like when Chesterton yep. said, I left Christianity to go and construct an orthodoxy. I did it and found out it was Catholicism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that that's, that's true. And that you, you get, 
uh, like the whole the like cliche little saying uh, that the Bible is like a mirror. But like, when you read through the Old Testament and you look at the mm-hmm. Israelites and you look at the, their rejection of God in all these different ways, uh, you yeah. you are supposed to see yourself and right. th- and that you would be doing the same thing if you were a part of that. So deconstructing mm-hmm. their how evil they are. I mean, yeah, it's like yeah, sure you could you can. You could talk about how evil they are, but then you have to talk about how evil you are. Right. And Jordan Peterson has been right to say that most of the things that are included in the scriptures are real human events, but that get at deeper systematic maps of meaning that are metaphors. So like the reason you see Cain killing Abel is because you're supposed to see that your own resentment is willing to strike out and reject God and kill those who are good around you. Right. Right. Even your own family. Like like why that story? Because like Adam and Eve had lots of children. Yeah. Why do we get only the only story we get right. is one story of these two brothers? Well, it's because it is the sin that flows out of the rejection of God yeah. in chapter three. Right. So yeah. on and so on. And people yeah. just don't they don't read the Bible. They want to either read the Bible metaphorically or literally when the literal events are true and happened and they point to and they're included because they are metaphors mm-hmm. of the appropriate thing to learn about human nature that we're all supposed to read and understand in any time period. I mean, and without ha- that level of sophistication, you can't read it. And this is, I think, one of the biggest problems of modern young people using deconstructive tools. You have to understand the thing you're deconstructing really well, really well to do before it you can yeah. deconstruct it. Yeah. And they don't. Right. Like I'm 45 years old. Okay. And I have been studying a, most of my adult life. I've read thousands and thousands and thousands of pages, hundreds of books, thousands of tens of thousands of articles. I spent so much time trying to just understand what is the church? Mm-hmm. What is marriage? What is a man? Mm-hmm. What is a woman? How do we relate? What do children need from us? Like, these like basic like institute like what is a government how does it function <laughs> yeah. what is a law right. and i mean just like my whole life and i am like i'm i feel like i'm getting a little bit of a handle on some of it yeah and so when i listen to some of these people just like like just walk around peeing on stuff that they don't understand right it's like that it's like the people in madison wisconsin who tore down the norwegian statue yeah. Because they were protesting slavery and he was like a white guy and they didn't realize he was put there because he was an abolitionist who died fighting for the Northern Army in the Civil yeah. War to liberate African slaves in America. Yeah. And he was a hero of that war. Yeah. They, they had no idea who he was. Right. He was just a white guy with a sword. Right. So he, from an age past. Right. So tear him down. That's we need social justice. It's and going- and they, they literally sprayed mm-hmm. on the concrete of the podium for that black lives matter. Right. Not one he, person yeah. in that protest had ever dreamed of making sacrifices for black lives exactly. that that man had done himself right. as a Norwegian immigrant who yeah. lived in the North, who had no slaves and had no particular dog in that fight himself. Right. Like right. that's the kind of, and you see this kind of irony in the way people want to quote deconstruct things that they have yeah. never yet understood. They just assume the world is, is as simple as they're simplistic. Yeah. And then they just go, well, I'm just going to tear this thing down. And like, right. Now, listen, I will say this, and I think this is important. That's not everybody. There are some very, very, very learned people who have over time become disconvinced of Christian faith. And there are other people who their process is relatively thoughtful, mm-hmm. right? And the other thing too is, is like, I we can't judge people with a measuring stick we will not use to measure ourselves. Yeah. So how, how thoughtful are you? How thoughtful am I? Yeah. Like when we, def- when we deconstruct the deconstructors, yeah. Right. Are we doing it as flippantly as that? So like, I think like we need to be real careful. Yeah. And but I, I will say as a pastor and as, I, as I've talked with younger people, mm-hmm. 
they are impatient to understand things, but they are they are quick to judge things. Yeah. And I think that dynamic is one. If you're a listener, just like you need to see that and deconstruct that in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I, I will say too that an added not not to to give a bunch of uh not to give a bunch of excuses to my generation as to why we're deconstructing everything and tearing thing, things down that we don't understand i think but i think one thing that's been interesting and and i'm got married last year uh no this year and well, i'm almost a year into marriage and my wife uh came from a, a, a fundamentalist background a christian mm-hmm. fundamentalist background where there was uh a more dogmatic view of christianity and yeah. you are really allowed to ask questions and i think that I think that what's happening with a lot of this deconstructionist stuff is that you're getting some people who grew up in that situation with the fundamentalist church and they're coming out of it and they're realizing that there's, you know, like more to life than fundamentalist Christianity and what they automatically do and what the natural thing to do is just swing the pendulum all the way to the other side. So they Mm -hmm. start to deconstruct everything. And I think that the the saddest part about all this is that this is – in the church, a lot of this is coming from the church. It's not coming mm-hmm. from academia. Or it's not coming from the universities. It's coming. I mean, it's it's tied in with that, but it's coming from a hatred for the fundamentalists or for the for the fundamentalist type of of Christian churches. And I think yeah. that that that's sad. I mean, that's just that's just sad, and that's why my generation is doing it. That doesn't mean it's good that they're doing it. It just yeah. that's one of the reasons why. I they're mean, doing all it. the tools and thinking is from the secular world and is being appropriated yeah, yeah. by liberal theologians and Christians right. and people like that. And the church and people are then using that in the church. But I, I guess I want to say this. I have, a, you know, you and I are looking at a document in which I have a list of reasons why people yeah. have gone through deconstruction. The first one is they are being idiots, right? Most of the rest are why it's understandable. Yeah. So I, I, I want to say to like younger people who are struggling with this, look, you need to be aware at how you, about how you're being pissed yeah. about what you don't understand, about what you think you have the right to analyze, about what you think you can tear down, though you didn't have to work to build it and all that. Yeah. And how ignorant and silly and dumb you can be in doing it, right? That's mm-hmm. why we call second year college students sophomores, wise fools, mm-hmm. because you get a little bit of learning and you think you know something. They yeah. say the worst person to create Christian heresies is a person who's taken one year of New Testament Greek, but not the second year. Huh. Right. Yeah. Better you not take any and then, not think you can judge the Bible yeah. and its original languages than for you to take yeah. just a little bit. Right. Yeah. And so I think it's important to recognize we don't want to be sophomoric. Right. Mm. Now, given that we, I have a whole list of other reasons why people are doing this. And one is, is that many institutions have failed people. Yeah. Right. Part of critical, the critical mentality and deconstruction is you're deconstructing things that are institutionalized, whether it's an institution itself, like the church or a, a set of beliefs that are connected to institutions that you've been involved with, like Christian doctrine. Yeah. So like to the extent to which you think the church has failed you in some cases, the church, I think has failed people. Churches have failed people. I think in other situations, what we expected from the church was completely unreasonable. Like, like it's a, it's an, it's nuanced, right? It's kind of like the church is like a parent or a mother. Yeah. Right. Did you have a good mother or a bad mother? Well, it's complicated. Right. And (laughs) so I think some people, when they get to a certain age, just at the same age where they decide to reject their parents, they decide to reject the church. Tell me if I'm getting out ahead of you right now. Could this be parallel to Christ? I think a lot of young people who come out of these, uh, who are deconstructionists, who come out of this fundamentalism, like, I mean, uh, not just fundamentalism, 
any sort sort of conservative Christianity. They come out of it and they're angry and they're frustrated and they go into deconstructing and they do it uh, in the name of like, okay, well Jesus Jesus went at the Pharisees and Jesus mm-hmm. Jesus uh, he he would be doing this too in this time period. And I think that that's ridiculous. And the reason why is because I think. One of the things that Jesus did do also was he started his ministry at 30 years old because that was the respectable thing that 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 you would do in the Jewish culture. You, nobody would have listened to you. You wouldn't have been able to have an opinion until you were 30 years old uh, mm-hmm. because they didn't believe your brain was developed or they just didn't believe you were mature enough. And Jesus actually respected that. So he didn't deconstruct. He actually uh, submitted to the cultural authority in that way and then mm-hmm. respectfully re, in a respectful commanding powerful way deconstructed what the pharisees and sadducees believed in but in also in a loving way and he won some of them over to his side i just think that yeah. the idea that, that you're going to compare yourself to christ who waited uh three decades and was god and knew all of the things that we don't know mm-hmm. and say that your little ministry or your little deconstructionist stuff that that's comparable to Christ. I think that that's ridiculous. I don't know if that's getting out way ahead of what you were just talking about, but I just thought of that right now. Yeah. I mean, I think there's some truth to that. I mean, you could be a priest until you were the age of 30, even in Luke's gospel where Luke, where Jesus is probably in the range of 12 years old and he goes to, he goes to the temple. Yeah. It's, it seems that like he's primarily asking questions and not teaching mm-hmm. anything. When he's with these, even though the the elders and the the, the Sadducees and people are, are astounded at the wisdom of the questions he asks them, uh, right? Yeah. But yeah, it's true. Like Jesus doesn't. J- Jesus isn't is. There's a difference between deconstructing something and using something to reform itself. Yeah. Right. So the Bible yeah. is full of anti-religious prophetic literature, where it talks about like the wrong kind of religion and religion right. where you pretend you're faithful but you're really lying and right and like it uses the resources of religion to reform religion. Yeah. That's it's, not the same thing as deconstructing something. Right. And it's not anti-religious, it's anti-hypocrisy. Right. It's, it's pro-religious in its pure, true term. Right. It, Many it, of the cases where Jesus attacks form. the Pharisees, he tells them to follow their own rules. Yeah. He's like, you're actually right about a bunch of this stuff, but then Just you apply it this way, which yeah. is completely hypocritical. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's some places where he does tell them they've they've really missed the boat and they're doing things in very much the wrong way. Yeah. But in, in all these cases, he's calling them back to what the Torah really means, what mm-hmm. God's word really means. He's mm-hmm. quoting scriptures to them. So he's reforming from within their own resources. He's not undermining their authority right. other than undermining their false teaching. Right. Right. Um, he's a little bit harder on the Pharisees because I think there's more corruption and more um, Roman capture in the, like the empires of the day and so on. Mm-hmm. But yeah, most people do not understand enough about Jesus. I mean, I've heard yeah. so many people quote Jesus as a revolutionary. Yeah. And Jesus is not a revolutionary in the Marxist and neo-Marxist sense. He's a reformer in any meaningful way of defining. The, if you have to decide, is Jesus a reformer or a revolutionary? He's a reformer. Yeah. He is trying to reestablish something that has been corrupted. He's not trying to tear something down to build something completely new. Yeah. You know, I mean, and, uh, somebody would argue that Jesus says, this is the argument of that Jesus came to fulfill the the law, not abolish the law. Uh, but I think some people, yeah, I know. I think you're right. And I think that it, I think it is. Uh, I also think Jesus's message was centered around he- forgiveness and healing, uh, mm-hmm. not around 
these Pharisees are just so screwed up that they will never, ever see the light of day. Like I'm going to just trash them and trash them and trash them. Like, I think that what we do, what my generation does is just, we, we kind of just find people that we believe that there's no hope for. And that's the conservative fundamentalist type people rather than trying to, to deconstruct them in a way that's going to lead them towards forgiveness or kind of reform yeah. them in a way that's going to lead towards forgiveness and repentance. We just kind of yeah. view them as hopeless. Yeah. So, but similarly as in Jesus day, um, the institutionalization of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees, and in some ways the teachers of the law are the scribes, those institutions oh. had corrupted and failed the people. Yeah. And so the, the place that the people were in where they were disillusioned, i.e. deconstructing their faith, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, Jesus didn't attack them for that, right? He tried to give them a pure reformed faith to believe in yeah. and to show them how to believe in the God of the Bible mm-hmm. without having to believe in the particular corruptions in those institutions around them. So mm-hmm. even though Jesus was, quote, pro-institutional in the sense that he was trying to rehabilitate what God had already said and put in place, yeah. and he was recognizing the, yeah. that these institutions had failed people. Right. Right. Yeah. All and through, this, the, all through the scriptures is a huge theme of the when the leaders become corrupt, so do the people. Yeah. Right. Which is yeah. why they're held uh, to a higher accountability than, than yeah. everybody else. Yeah. And there's a reciprocating relationship. Like as the people grow bad, the rulers that come up out of them tend to be worse. Yeah. And then they make the people worse. Right. And then the, this is that yeah. dynamic in judges, that that, that yeah. downhill spiral. It's right? the argument that everybody says is a logical fallacy that isn't the slippery slope. Are you, that people will say well, that's a logical fallacy. And it's like yeah. all of human history is slippery slope after slippery slope. It's like, how is that a logical fallacy? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I The... If, if you treat the slippery slope, a slippery slope argument, like it's a necessity hmm. that all things will lead to other things and they will always get to worse things, mm-hmm. then it's a fallacy. But if you're like, no, but this is what we should predict is going to happen. Hmm. The, pro- the, 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 re- the biggest problem with that fallacy is it's a prediction and you can't know yeah, it's true until it happens. Yeah, sure. So it's actually a question of wisdom. And, yeah. and if you can't see it, then right. you can't see it. Right. Yeah, if you there's can't so many see things it. like I mean, I there's so many things in the last 20 years where I've been like, don't you see this is next? Yeah, and people are like, what? And then it happens, and it's like they're like, how could you have known that? I'm like, um, it because, was obvious, right? It was obvious, and because it happened like 50 times throughout human history and all these different civilizations, so yeah. it's pretty easy to to draw parallels because yeah. people now aren't different than people were. 150 yeah. years ago or something. Yeah. I mean, like it is true that pendulums swing. So things slip down the slippery slope until people wake up and go, wait a second, we can't keep doing this. Yeah. Hmm. Right. And so like, I, I mean, I knew years ago with the attitude towards police that at some point we get to defund the police, really? but then at some point you get chaos and people snap back. Right. Yeah. And, and then you can very quickly get to where police have too much authority again right. and it starts to grow corrupt, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, so you see, it's hard to, it's hard to predict. Yeah. If you just think slippery slope, you think things always just get worse, which isn't true. I'll caveat with saying that is if you believe that the police are corrupt. I, I mean, well, I mean, there's, there's always police, police officers that right. are corrupt, but if it's all, if it's corrupt enough to completely re reestablish the system or re, recreate a system, I think that, I think that a lot of people who are frustrated with the police officers aren't looking at the statistics. I think there are bad situations, but the statistics are wildly in favor of police officers doing their job in a really good way. Like yeah, 90. I think I'm referring more to like there were times in the 1920s to 1930s oh. and 1970s <laughs> yeah. where there were certain cities that organized crime where like almost yeah. every cop was on the payroll. Yeah. Right. And that yeah. had to get cleaned up at some point. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. 
like they had to focus on on like like and I like I when I was a United Methodist pastor, there was this young guy who was just out of the Air Force who wanted to be a pastor, and he went and talked to a district superintendent. This guy's twenty six years old, mm-hmm. has been to war, you know. Yeah, and the the district superintendent says, "Listen, if you if you become a United Methodist pastor, you will be have a guaranteed appointment at a church. You'll have really good health insurance, a mm-hmm. good retirement, you know." And the guy never became a Methodist pastor hmm. because what that guy needed was like, "Listen, you're going to give your life for this. You're going to die. You're going to make it, but you're going to make an eternal difference for Christ in the lives of all kinds of people you've never met. It's going to mm-hmm. be exciting and heart wrenching, and right." Yeah. But that's not what he said to that 26-year-old. He's basically like, listen, I'll make you mediocre like myself. Hmm. I'll, I'll bring you somebody who wants to serve God yeah. and, and care for the flock that Jesus bought with his very blood. And here's what I can guarantee you. A church you can yell at, right? Uh, a yeah. retirement and really good health insurance. Right. Like, that's for God's not, sakes, it's like yeah. you're trying to talk the man out of it. You know what I mean? Right. And like, yeah. and, but, but what happened is, yeah, the Methodist church became corrupt in its mediocrity because it became too professionalized. Huh. And it will wane and decline and break down until something happens. Do you think that uh, that uh, all these different denominations are a result of a form of deconstructionism? No, no. Okay, I don't. I mean, some are, but yeah. I mean, a lot of liberal denominations, I think, are the result of forms of you deconstruction. You think like the non-denominational uh, group of people? I know High Point's non-denominational, but mm-hmm. do you think that that is like I, recently? I think a lot of the churches result just, of deconstruction. Uh, yeah, potentially. I think that a lot of churches just don't want to subscribe to, don't want to be told that there is a certain theology that they have to, uh, that they have to o- obey or be or. Uh, subscribe to they don't want to do that and so they do they do the non-denominational thing and uh they can control everything about what they believe yeah i think in this case we're adding multiple definitions to what deconstruction might mean deconstruction as a critical school Mm -hmm. i no, i don't think so i think what happened is after freud and marx and nietzsche yeah we got modernist theology which already existed because Schleiermacher's in the 1700s, right? So you're getting this like liberal cla- cla- or modernist theology, yeah. which basically is redefining Christian terms, deconstructing yeah. it, trying to reconstruct it for people who are, quote, mm-hmm. modern, right? And as that happened, you did get a church split. You have the fundamentalist modernist controversy in America. Yeah. And evangelical churches came out of the fundamentalist camp. Yeah. Which rejected modernism as a form of deconstruction. So yeah. is High Point Church existence as an evangelical church the result of, quote, deconstruction? Yes, in a sense that it was the fundamentalist church broke from modernist or liberal churches and the evangelical church broke away from fundamentalism, right. but retained its believing. Yeah. Like it's believing res- faith, yeah. but rejected what we consider to be the excesses of fundamentalism, which were its right. an anti-intellectualism, secondary of separation, some of those other doctrines, which made it more ingrown. And so to be a place where you couldn't question things, you couldn't develop doctrines as you should and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that makes sense. Do you? Yeah. Okay. But, I, but I think this idea that you're getting at the institutions have failed us. And so yeah. we're drawn to deconstruct them. Yeah. Whether you go back to the institutions of state governments that supported Jim Crow, the belief that the government going into the Vietnam War was a bad idea and was getting our our young men killed, including our young black men. I think in the black community, that was a, it was a resourced subject, whether it's the institutionalization of growing of our prison systems, whether it's our public schools not doing what we wish that they would. Um, a lot of institutions in American life people feel like they've been failed by them. And as these macro institutions have failed, it's been much harder for churches to do 
what would make people feel like they were really taken care yeah. of or the family. And so the family as an institution began to break apart because of no fault divorce and other things that held the family together on the macro level, yeah. those helps fell away. Yeah. And so then the family began to break down. And so all these institutions began to fail people. Well, as if you grow up in that and you're like, all these institutions are failing me, being drawn to deconstruct their legitimacy is extremely tempting and maybe yeah. legitimate. Yeah. Right? I, I, and so you I, get people deconstructing the yeah. legitimacy of institutions like the church and right. its beliefs, like its theology of the gospel. I, I found it to be really interesting how young people my age will, uh, they will deconstruct. They will do what you were just saying about about these. All these institutions are frustrated with these institutions, the prison systems, and uh, like all the different uh, institutions. And yet, their answer to that is to continue to build more institutions, larger institutions, run by the same people who run the institutions that they already don't like. I, that, yeah. That's what's and confusing. with more power to control more you, power to control and that you. are much more expensive to run. It makes sense in that people don't want to take responsibility and change things themselves and they want to shovel yeah. responsibility onto other people. But when you yeah. think about it, if you're going to try to be like critical of that thought process, you would think, oh, maybe we shouldn't give more power to the people that we that have right. gotten us into this mess already, but yet they just yeah. want that. Yeah, that's why I said that I think deconstruction ends up becoming hypocritical. Yeah. Because either at some point you have to, when you deconstruct all these things that were supposed to support human life, like institutions and beliefs, yeah, then you have to come up with beliefs in institutions yourself. Yeah. Or you need to take care of all the responsibilities of life yourself. Yeah. Nobody wants that. Yeah. Nobody in their yeah. right mind would want that. It's not necessarily even evil. It's just right. like, who would want all that? You're, we're supposed to have institutions. Yeah. Human beings are supposed to cooperate and have shared beliefs and cultures, right? Yeah. But if you just say, well, we're just going to have this like cultureless, right big institution called the federal government, right? Yeah. Who, that are, that's going to make everything good. And yeah. we're going to have these like institutions that we like what they're pushing, like schools or universities that are indoctrinating us. Yeah. Um, but when you look at some of these institutions, they're highly dysfunctional. I mean, universities are highly dysfunctional. They're super bloated economically. They cost way too much. Right. They don't teach people what they need. Educational standards have come right. way down, right? The yeah. federal government, very few people have confidence in it. It's extremely inefficient. I mean, just, just even in terms of infrastructure, things that people don't consider super um, mm. contentious. I mean, we we built major bridges in America in like the 1920s in less than a year. And now it takes 20 right. years to build these things right. because of the red tape and the bureaucracy and the programs and the reports and the blah, blah, blahs, which right. don't make the environment any better. Right. They just make everything cost 10 times as much. And it's not just a Democrat thing or a Republican thing. Like bo both sides of the aisle right now in America, at least, are part of our expanding government as part of their pitch. Right. There's well, yeah, ally. as we deconstruct, yeah. as we deconstruct the institutions of civil society, mm -hmm. you get this ever increasing sclerotic bureaucracy of a federal government that now yeah. has to do all these things everything else used to do. Right. And people think, well, only something that big can do it. Well, that's not true at all. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's not so, true. So, yeah. yeah, so there's uh, a certain kind of um, worship of the federal government, which I think yeah. is the idolatry that must come out of certain forms of um, deconstruction when it's already wedded to expressive individualism. Yeah. I, I want the tools of deconstruction can be used against the federal government or anything. Yeah. But it's when right. it's wedded to expressive individualism, mm -hmm. you will get this little hypocrisy. Yeah. I want to go back to the, to these, to the ways in which people are deconstructing their faith. Yep. I, I think that, I think actually the first, the place to start rather than, uh, sexual ethics is actually the practice. It says, contra uh, contrasting the practice of Christian spirituality 
uh, to psychological theories yeah. of healing and uh, developing the self. I think this is actually seems to be the the root that the sexual ethics then come out of, don't you think? Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you recognize the effect of Freudianism, of, of Sigmund Freud and Freudianism on our culture, that those two are actually the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Right. So yeah. it, you have to deconstruct the Bible. So there's, the Bible's always being just deconstructed. But the question is, why is it being deconstructed? Mm-hmm. What are people after? Right. Right. And usually they're after deconstructing the Christian sexual ethic morality, usually yeah. in connection to LGBTQ plus issues. But it's right. in it, for most people, it's actually not about LGBTQ plus stuff. It's mm-hmm. about us doing whatever we want sexually. Yeah. And if we can show that LGBTQ plus people should be able to do whatever they want, that we can all do whatever we want. Yeah. Right. Well, and I'll, I'll give an example of of uh, of the idea that basically turning Christianity uh, into this like the theories of healing and developing the self that that and I again we've talked a lot on this podcast about how much we like Jordan Peterson and all the good things about Jordan Peterson and I like Jordan Peterson I listen to him a lot but I was listening through his Genesis uh, lectures and. At one point, he blatantly just said that, like, think of God as the future. And like, that's what God is. God is the future. And so what you do right now is going to basically manifest your future. And it was and it, and it turned in like his his uh, his lectures on Genesis basically turned into a uh, like self-help yeah uh, like those books that you see a Jungian self-help yeah right and and it was kind of just it takes away all the authority and sovereignty of god which those Mm -hmm. two things are like god well it takes away his being which is really dangerous to do and then with that takes away all of the sovereignty and 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 out of that it it really if your future is your god then right now you know you're basically your God too. Like you can control the future. It's just yeah. weird. Yeah. One of the relatively well-known um, theologians who has deconstructed his faith, he's no longer a Christian. And I don't think no any longer a believer. I want to say his name is David Maxwell. He wrote an article or did a YouTube video, is Jordan Peterson the new Schleiermach or the new Bultmann? And people don't know who Rudolf Bultmann is, right? Rudolf Bultmann yeah, was no. a theologian in the last century. who was an existential theologian. And he quote, demythologized the Bible. Okay. But like what he was really doing is what, what Peterson is doing, he was actually saying that the Bible was mytholo,gy and by taking out some of the mytho- mythology, he was trying to give an existential explanation. He was doing it so yeah. as to minimize how much people had to believe to believe in what he thought was the good stuff in Scripture. Thomas Jefferson did the same thing by just like scribbling out all the miracles in the Bible, but keeping the other stuff. What yeah. Peterson is doing, and I think Peterson is doing it in relatively good faith because he himself yeah. doesn't have belief. Mm-hmm. So he's, so Peterson is doing the opposite of deconstruction, which I admire about it, right? He's yeah. trying to say, okay, in a deconstructed state as a psychologist who is like, laid out everything in life in terms of just mere psychology. How do I move towards a map of meaning in such a way as to believe that something matters? So he's building back toward God. Yeah. So so now he said he says like so think of God as the future. Now Christians and religious people have, to, have to always believed that in dealing with God you are dealing with a being that's in the past, present, and future. Yeah. And your past, present, and future is related to that, and it specifically affects right. your future in terms of blessing and ultimately in terms of eternal right. life. So in that sense, God does represent mm-hmm. a better future of yours, which he is demanding you enter into through responsibility rather than irresponsibility right. and living for the moment. Like that's all true. So in that sense, if you were building God back from scratch, one attribute at a time, and you said, think of God as the future, that would be like partially right. But partially. the problem is, is that if you don't add in the other stuff, right. 
and then it's all wrong if you don't. Yeah, have, it's yeah. like it. Yeah, yeah. You're basically just taking the parts of God you like. Right. But what what Peterson I think is trying to do is taking the parts of God that are believable to people and showing them in completely secular terms. Yeah. Why this works and is right. part of your nature. Then right. if you understand it's part of your nature, then you believe human beings have a nature. Right. Where did that nature come from? And what right. is the full relationship towards that nature? And what you and can it, do with that is you can create a civil society, but mm -hmm. you can't create morally just uh, – you can't create people who are justified before God, basically. You can't create people who are, are – Or transformed believer, into holiness. Or transformed into holiness, right. right. But you can create and, – and you can create but basically I think what the founding fathers – did for a long time was a society that had a shared value system, even if they didn't want to believe in the truth of the gospel of Christ. Yeah. And even the, even the founding fathers that were like not Unitarian, but they were more deist. They mm -hmm. still believed in the six, um, the six basic statutes of American public religion, like that God exists, that he is sovereign and provident over all things, okay. that he would ju will judge all people in the end. Yeah. Like there were a number of like real general religious notions yeah. that weren't doctrinal, right. but that every religion that existed in America at that time believed in. Yeah. But what it meant was, is that like, there was a God behind you telling the truth. There was a God behind you, like murdering your neighbor. There was like the things that were necessary yeah. for civil behavior that you agree that there was a God behind all those things yeah. and you should live right Yeah. without the dynamic of the gospel and right. all that kind of stuff. So yeah. like, yeah, and, Just, but, but Christianity is one of those religions that believes that human transformation is supernatural that comes from union with God yeah. and therefore requires faith in God as savior. And so yeah. for Christians believe you can't get a sanctified or a person full of God's holiness or the yeah. fullness of humanity redeemed without a express right. faith and specific redemptive relationship with God. Because of that, civil religion and deconstructed faith is not enough. Yeah. Deconstructed faith is not deeper faith. It's no yeah. faith. Yeah. Because the, the modern American liberal Christian, so to speak, and I'm going to put Christian in quotes in that, believes that the more you reckon with your assumptions and the more open-minded you become, the deeper your faith is. And it's deeper in that it understands its assumptions better than it ever did. Which in one sense, that means you are thinking deeper in at least one dynamic. Yeah. But your faith isn't deeper because right. faith in this context is your trust in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And what, what deepens that makes your faith deeper. So if your deconstruction ultimately reconstructs your faith in such a way as to deepen your faith in Jesus, that is you trust him more than you ever did. Then it deepened your faith. If you thought more deeply about your assumptions and that led you to not believe more deeply in Jesus, then that didn't deepen your faith in the religiously significant sense. Yeah. It deepened it in a kind of psychological sense relative to critical theories. Right. But critical theories aren't the risen Christ. They aren't the thing that we've right. come here to believe in, which is Jesus. Where does that lead to when people are constantly questioning their assumptions and that's what's being pushed upon young people is to constantly question their assumptions. Why, why this, why that, where, yeah, where I think does that does, ultimately go to? Does that go right. to like suicide? I, like where do people just kill themselves because yeah. there's well, nothing to live for? I think one of the things that you're getting at and we do keep getting out of order because these things all feed into each other. But I think one of the things that this recognizes is that there's a psychology of criticism Mm -hmm. that ironically people who are in, increasingly interested in psychology don't understand. Yeah. So people are like, I want to look at all, all these psychological reasons, like all the, all the like heady reasons, like the yeah. why people believe stuff, but they don't realize that criticism itself has a psychology in that uh, as you criticize things, you become more critical. 
Yeah. And nothing's good enough. No answer is good enough. Yeah. And increasingly what you become begin to subconsciously stand like a conqueror over the things you're deconstructing. Your yeah. ego is increasing in size Interesting. and you're judging the things that you're now looking at rather than in the classical idea that virtue judged you. Yeah. So the old Bible reader would go to the Bible and in the reading of the Bible, God would judge them. Mm-hmm. They would have to reckon with themselves and they had to grow. So they were being, quote, deconstructed by God. Yeah. What deconstruction does as a critical theory, it, it allows for the reversal of that process as though God doesn't exist. We now, as gods, stand over the scripture and God himself and deconstruct him. Right. As though we're both morally, reasonably, and so unqualified to do so. Yeah. And now on one level, if, as Pythagoras said, um, man is the measure of all things, or as Kant said, that enlightenment means that we no longer look to religion for supervision, part of like emerging into this sort of quote enlightenmentness w- w- is this idea that like we have the right to think for ourselves. And you can see this in like David Maxwell said this in his interview um, with um, with Bradley. I can't remember his first name right now. He's an African-American theologian in New York City. But, but um, Maxwell argued that like part of him losing his faith was his choice to trust himself and believe in himself and have a right self-esteem in his, in his view yeah. that like the way he was believing in Christian faith was to take on a Christian identity, which mm. stultified or shrunk or kept him from developing psychologically. Yeah. And only by letting that faith go, could he really grow? This is why we were talking about that, that second thing, which is people de- are deconstructing Christianity right now saying that to do so is to become psychologically healthy where Christians have always said by coming to Jesus, repenting of our sins and growing in godliness through faith, learning to forgive, we become much more psychologically healthy than we would have been otherwise. Right. Because we're being redeemed, saved, Hmm. right? Yeah. The modern deconstructionist says, no, actually this is a misunderstanding of every important psychological principle, right? Because being yourself requires living in your own mind and not accepting something from outside. Otherwise you're not really being yourself and therefore blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Well, it blows my mind. I mean, it doesn't blow my mind. Well, it kind of does. When you think about it, it's like, uh, well, it's interesting because it's, it is all required of, it it all comes down to the requirement of faith for Christians. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, and what happens if you don't have faith and, and it seems like such a simplistic, lame way to explain certain things sometimes, because it's like the Christian, just have faith. But if you do, if you go the opposite route and you start to be critical of every single thing that you think and all of it, you, you get to a point where you're still going to have to have faith in something. But I think that people can't deal with it. I don't – does that make sense? What, like, what you do don't you, realize is you begin to put faith in your own judgment. Yeah. In, in, for everything. And you become a narcissist and you, be, you become yeah. crazy. Because a lot, there's a lot of people who have deconstructed their faith who would say, but yeah, Nick, there's nothing else to put your faith in, right? Like what you re, what you have to realize is that you are in the world alone and you do at the end of the day, there's nothing, there's nothing outside your mind that can tell you what's true or false. Like you have to believe in yourself. And like to a certain extent, I actually agree with that. I believe that we, we bear the image of God psychologically and we are supposed to be quote judges of all things as it says yeah. in scripture. Right. But we also, but this this ultimately comes down to like so many things in belief is the doctrine of depravity. Yeah. Do you believe that your mind is screwed up? Yeah. Right. Now think about that for a second. What does every abuser do to the person that they abuse? They tell them their perception is wrong. Their mind is screwed up. 
They can't think straight. They don't understand. You have to believe me. I'm the one who really sees things. Right. And so these abused people are kind of like this. I don't, well, maybe I am crazy and maybe I am totally wrong. And it isn't until somebody says, you're not crazy. You're being abused. Right. I mean, I remember sitting with, um, a minister that we both know and he was telling me about the church he was serving and how like he was being treated and how like the senior pastor was behaving and so on. He's like, he's like, yeah, it just feels really hard. And I was like, I think it's because these people are nuts that you're serving with. Yeah. And he was like, you think so? And I was like, yes. Yeah. I mean, if what you're telling me is accurate, Right. Then yeah. And over like the course of a couple of weeks, he like was like, you know what? I think I'm in a really abusive place. And I think I've just like gotten sucked in. And now I think this is normal. Right. And so you can understand how modern people, when they learn that about psychology and abuse, right. they look at the Christian Bible where God yeah. basically says, listen, you've got to trust me more than yourself. Right. You've got to realize there is something amiss in how you think and how you feel. Right. right. People go, oh, abuser. Right. But yeah, think but about the, this. The big That's diff- also yeah. what a counselor tells a girl who has anorexia. He says, listen. If you, if you want to get better, right, right. The, the, let's say the counselor's a woman and she says to this girl, look, if you want to get better, you got to believe that I see something that you don't, that there's something messed up in how right. you see the world and it's killing right. you. Right. You see, and you see the same metaphor of like, yeah. you're, there's something wrong with your mind and you need to trust me right. is what an abuser does and what a counselor does. Yeah. And, it, right? but it and, isn't, and so which is God? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so the Christian believes God is the counselor. Yeah. I'm the anorexic. I really have a skewed vision of reality. And unless I allow God to rehabilitate my perspective, yeah. I can't be critical. Right. I don't have the capacity to think critically in a way that's clear. Only through holiness right. will I be able to discern. What's discernment? It's yeah. thinking critically. Right. It's being to look at the world, see what's there, and to know what's best. And make decisions. Yeah. And be right. able and so, to, yeah. So Christianity yeah. in that sense has always been for, quote, critical thinking. Yeah. Because it's always been for discernment. But there's a psychology of criticism. Yeah. Where you start by trying to discern, but more and more, nothing's ever good enough. Yeah. There's always a reason to disbelieve. And because you don't want to be gullible because now you're a smart, critical person, right. you don't want to be taken in by anything. So you'd rather not believe in something true to not believe in things that are false than to believe in something that is false because you're also believing in what's true. And because of that, nothing is good enough anymore. And you start to believe in less and less and less right. and less. You become an increasing agnostic about everything. So what's the only thing you could believe in? You. You. Yeah. Right. And right. that actually leads, Christianity teaches that leads to a kind of damnation, a yeah. kind of insanity. It, it's, it, it is. What you just described was what Romans 1 describes. Right. Just Absolutely. more quickly. <laughs> the, uh, the, the Romans 1 does it quickly. But uh, the, the difference also between the abuser and between God is that, well, one, God isn't the abuser. And two, God is telling you that you've abused yourself or everybody else around you right. and you've been abused by everybody else. So there's much more like uh, it, it's I just don't think it's fair when people draw that conclusion to where God's the abuser because there's similar attributes, uh, he has similar attributes. He's saying similar things to what an actual abuser says. It's kind of like what you just to your point, what you just said, uh, that yeah. people draw those conclusions. I think that that just shows their lack of ability to actually critically think about things. So you're not even critically yes. thinking. You're just you're just right saying in, in simplistic my view, things that don't that don't make sense. Yeah. Right. Okay. So I'm going to give you a hot take of mine on critical theory. Obviously, this is not in the Bible. This is my yeah. judgment. Right. Yeah. Um, I think that critical theories make it impossible for people to think critically. And, yeah. And I, what I mean by that is, is that most critical schools start with a working assumption about how everything should be interpreted. And so it can't, it, it, it has no internal ability to see when that principle no longer works. 
Okay. Right. So for example, yeah. um, people in power are always oppressing people who have less power. Mm-hmm. So what ends up happening is you believe that the disempowered people can't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. Racism yeah. is the belief in, in the superiorness of your race plus power. Yeah. So therefore black people can't be racist. Yeah. Right. If you see, if you start with assumptions like that, you can't think critically. You right. can't say what's the evidence and what conclusion should it lead me to. You're, you're basically you're, an ideological bigot who can't think outside of a box. Right. I, right. Because you, if you're smart, like, look, if you're if you're not that smart, like if you've got an IQ of 95 or something like that and somebody tells yeah. you that's the principle to start thinking with, you don't really realize that you've already decided all of the conclusions for every question already. Yeah. That you were just you were basically just given a highly concentrated, bigoted idea of about conclusions. And now you just have to discover yeah. That you've already decided every one of these questions. And so you think you're thinking, but you're not thinking. You already have the conclusion. Right. Right. Like if you give me the basic critical theory stuff or like critical race theory or whatever. Yeah. And I don't mean I don't mean critical race theory as like exploring the dynamics of power yeah. relative to race. I'm not talking about that. Like like Gloria Ladson Billings critical race theory. I agree with that. Right. Well, I mean, maybe not all of not it, all but of like, it. but a good bit of it, right? Yeah. I'm talking about like um everybody's every white person's racist. Okay, well, guess what you're going to find out if you start with that, with that assumption? You're yeah. going to find out that every white person's racist. Yeah. That's what you're going to find out. And you're going to be wrong. Because you're, you're going to have create, no capacity create... to find out that you're wrong. Yeah. You're going to think black people can't be racist. Well, you're going to be wrong about that. But you're going to have no ability to find out that yeah. you were wrong about that. Yeah. You're right? going to create so, a bunch of uh, – you, you'll create uh, methods that lead you to believe that about white people. Yeah. I mean, well, one of the – I mean – And like you will, and you will discover you- enough – cool stuff you didn't know before that yeah. is true right that you'd be like oh this is so productive right because like if you start with a thought and you take it as far as it can go you will learn productive things yeah what do you, you say also to- learn a lot of false things and you won't learn the balancing ideas mm-hmm. so that you'll you'll be super one-sided and therefore you'll end up a bigot and yeah. you'll be calling balanced people bigots right what do you say about people who say the Bible does the same thing in that it just shoves people into an ideological box and doesn't allow them to think critically and to uh, to question their assumptions and to question the the biblical the biblical commands i mean because there's an argument from the other side that it would just be okay yeah maybe that's all true maybe but maybe maybe the ultimate argument is that just everybody's an ideological bigot all the time and we can never get out of that that cycle i mean yeah and that's worth thinking about right yeah Um, it could be true is it it yeah true yeah so here's why i don't think that personally yeah one the bible has so much content in it that's so varied and diverse that it's very difficult to, to pigeonhole things without ignoring stuff. Okay. So, so for example, if I, if I could argue um, from the Bible that the, that all four um, political outlooks in America are correct mm-hmm. very easily right now. Yeah. You did I could that. argue progressive is correct. Yeah. Liberalism is correct. Libertarianism is correct. And conservatism is correct. I could do it all from the Bible right now. Like there's tons of Bible verses that, that Democrats love and tons that Republicans love. Right? You wouldn't, you're not saying that they're all totally correct. You're saying that that what they should, what they are, you did this when we were at your house like a couple weeks ago, you, mm-hmm. you broke this down and, uh, and, and you explained that these theory, political theories um, in their purest form are, are all, all rooted, in, rooted in biblical, in some sort of biblical yeah. teaching or biblical yeah. idea. Yeah. yeah. And on some level, all four of those political philosophies are correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the question is that, that people don't want to ask is in what way 
and how should they interrelate and which ideas are more foundational than other ideas, which mm -hmm. ideas are supposed to modify other ideas. Right. Yeah. And so, but, th but they're all in the Bible. Right. And so if you, if you read the Bible carefully, yeah. what ends up happening is you end up getting captured by this thing or that thing. And then the Bible comes right. and it like rebukes you and is like, well, wait a second. So like, if you, let's say you're a Republican and you read the Bible and you see that like personal responsibility is a big deal. Mm -hmm. personal salvation is individual. Right. Like we all stand before God as people, but right. we have responsibilities to a community. We yeah. should form families, have children. Right. You're like, Oh my gosh, this, this whole book is Republican. Right. Yeah. And then you read like Amos and Amos is like, okay, listen, this system is all set up to screw the poor. Your whole economic system is like in ancient Israel, right? They're like, well, you've got these fat middle-aged women who have plenty of jewelry and these people are yeah. starving. And this is fundamentally unjust. You've yeah. set up a system that's wrong and you you want to stamp God on it, right? And you're like, wait yeah. a second. He's literally talking about how the poor are treating the rich or the, the rich are treating the poor. Yeah. And he's doing so in the dynamic of their economic system, their political system. And he's yeah. talking about the attitude that they have towards each other. And he's saying that the poor aren't sure. poor primarily because they're dysfunctional. The poor are poor because they're 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 suffering misfortune. Yeah, they don't have they might not have the capacity, but they're actually, they are working hard. And so all these like so these the Bible's like, Marxist. <laughs> yeah. Karl but, Marx. But so so like you know like as that Republican guy, you're like you know the poor really need to work hard and blah blah blah. blah. Yeah. Okay, and then you get to Amos is like wait the poor a lot of the poor they are working hard. Yeah. Right. Like they are, you know, like, or they, they got sick. That system. wasn't their yeah. fault. Right? right. Like, so the, and the Bible is very pro nurturing, for example, that like there, you need to give people certain resources to help them to get going. You can't drop somebody off the bottom of the ladder and expect them to jump up and grab the bottom rung. So for example, if you, if you didn't take personal responsibility for your life, you fell into debt and you had to be in slavery for seven years. Mm -hmm. When you got released, it was mandatory for you to receive land. Right. So you had something to start with. Mm -hmm. What well, was that earned? No, it's not earned. The other example this gives is it to you. the gospel and that when right. you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit right away so that you can have, I mean, you receive a bunch of things, but the yeah. Holy Spirit is this tool that you get. So you're not just on your own, just trying to figure this whole thing out. Right, right. A lot of Christian, basically Christian salvation is gracious, yeah. but it's also demands responsibility. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, do you see that that's like religious Democrat and religious Republicanism right there? Similarly, yeah. in the economic theories of the Bible, right? People are, people are quote, owed access to a living, but they're not owed a living. Yeah. Right. There are some Republicans that don't feel like we should bend over backwards to make sure people have access to a living. But there's other yeah. Democrats that think people are owed a living. Neither right. of those are true. Right. So yeah. so yeah. I think that well, one of the reasons I think that the Bible hasn't constrained, but actually really opened up my thinking dramatically is because it's so diverse. There's so many other thoughts. It, yeah. it, it functions dynamically with so many human experiences and different contexts of corruption and redemption and restoration. Yeah. That there's so much to think about. Right. Right. I think that's now you can read the Bible in a very narrow way within a religious tradition, within yeah. a particular theological schema where you have all the right answers. There's no thinking that needs to be done. And it's that difficult. sort of fundamentalism, I think, can constrain the mind. But if you're some people are just prone to that, no matter what ideas yeah. they get a hold of. But there are some movements that get ingrown like that. They get anti-intellectual. Yeah. They get prideful in their answers. And so now, on. I I do struggle though because I think I think the people that hate the fundamentalist situation and they're they're I mean I would even say sometimes the Baptists do this and and Southern Baptists they're the uh, they create simplistic theological. Uh, boxes, ideologies mm -hmm. that everybody has to subscribe to if they want to be a part yeah. of that community. 
Uh, part of me thinks that that could be really, really helpful in getting things done yeah. uh, as as a church. You know, like one yeah. of the frustrations I, I have with High Point sometimes is that everybody believes that they deserve to have an opinion on things. Yeah, because everybody at High Point, because there's a culture of 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 theorizing and philosophizing and and ta- and the- theological conversation, which is all great. Yeah. But then sometimes it it, it inhibits us from actually getting some stuff done that I think could get done. Whereas right. there's other churches that I've been to where there's not much room for questions, but they're freaking, they're so efficient and effective. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And it, and it like, I, so there's gotta be a, a good balancing point in when you're running a church, a local church. Yeah. I mean, I wish I knew what that was, but par- yes. part of it is I'm a pastor in Madison and mm-hmm. there is this like, you know, you can't get too dogmatic or people just won't even listen. Right. And so right. part of it is I'm trying to reach people where they're at. Yeah. And I, I want, I, I want Christianity to be expansive for people mentally and so on. But I think yeah. at the same time, there is a bigotry of people who have education or IQs over 120 or so on that, that they, they're really comfortable thinking abstractly. Like they forget that like almost a full half of human beings just don't think abstractly very well. Yeah. And so the kind of like deconstructive contextualization and blah, 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 freaking yeah. blah, you're going to do with people. You're like, you think you're for the poor. Most of right. them, like there's like half of the half of people that don't think well abstractly. They can't make any sense about like, like, all, like I want to say it's like 35 to 40% of the American public mm-hmm. cannot read and follow directions. Like if they order something from Amazon, they have to put together. They cannot read and follow the directions and put it together. Right. Yeah, I mean that's why like pace like Best Buy have people who will put together oh, basic desks guy. for you. Yeah, yeah. Because people just can't do it. Yeah. And it's not like those people are worthless or anything. Well, it's just they'll pay money for. They're not for in a place too. where they can do that stuff either yeah. because they can't or because they weren't taught how to think well or whatever. And so like yeah. I think sometimes yeah. we need to recognize that like those of us who do function well in abstractions. Right. And can do quote critical theory and do do either reconstructing our faith or reconceptualizing our faith or deconstructing our faith. We're not really for the little guy. Yeah. Like we're make we're trying to make life so complicated the little guy cannot understand it. Sure. And so I think one of the reasons why God abominates, just hates some of this deconstruction stuff, yeah, is because the little guy in church who's not the sharpest knife in the drawer needs to be told God exists. Right. God loves you. Sure. God does not accept sin. You and I have to repent of our sins. Right. Like these fundamentally concrete doctrinal summary statements right. that we're meant to believe in cleanly and yeah. fully are a gift to humanity because of God's self-revelation. Yeah. When we try to like make them so complicated and, and like we like deconstruct them and we like yeah. well, what con- like we like you could it's say we, like we Jordan Peterson eyes them. Yeah. Right. We are leaving behind Christ's sheep. We're making it too complicated for them to understand. And right? Jesus himself didn't walk around psychologizing everything and no. trying to deconstruct things. And he, he was pretty. He told stories about trees and stuff. Right. Yeah. He tried yeah. to make the, the, he tried, well, like you say, he tried, or the Bible says he tried to make the simple wise in, in, in explaining things to people mm-hmm. who might not be able to understand them in their theoretical way, maybe explaining yeah. them in stories or in, uh, in parables, I think that's that's where uh, art has been lost in Christianity uh, in a lot of ways. I think that we've done a really bad way of using stories to to bring to bring the, the way that C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. and J.R.R. Tolkien use Narnia and Middle Earth to tell deep theological to give deep theological understanding to people who might 
in other ways not really understand it. I mean, that's yeah. what it did for me as a kid. I think I knew more about my my faith by reading Narnia than most, just because I read it than most mm-hmm. other people my age. And that was really Yeah, helpful. I mean, most of the great art museums before a certain date in modernism were religious paintings. Yeah. I mean, we go yeah. to the Minneapolis Institute of Art and it's just tons of paintings of Christ and different saints throughout. And it's really, it's really cool to look at. Uh, okay. So let's, let's move into some of these. Um, so you have, there's a lot of toxic religion out there. We kind of talked about that. Uh, do you want to go into that a little bit more or no? Yeah, no, I just, I think we need to recognize that. Like you might be listening to this and be like, you know, my friend or I, I had de- deconstructed my faith because my, there was like the religion I was around was totally toxic. Yeah. Um, you know, that's not always, it may have felt toxic that, you know, or whatever, or you might've felt met particular people who were toxic rather yeah. than all of religion. But, but yeah, listen, there's a lot of toxic religion out there. That's true. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it feels cheap to people when somebody like me says, that's not what Jesus is like. Mm-hmm. But but if you read the Bible carefully, that is the message of Scripture. That mm-hmm. often God's people, who God is reaching out to, are not like what He is like. Which is why there's so much judgment in the Bible yeah. and loving pleas mm-hmm. for people to come to repentance, yeah. because the people of God are not perfect representatives of God. They're not the perfect priest. They are yeah. often really poor examples of it. Which is why Jesus had to be Himself the perfect priest. Yeah. And so, I mean, I just encourage you. Yeah, there's a lot of toxic religion out there. That's totally true. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Jesus is not toxic, mm-hmm. and where His church is growing in holy, real holiness, it is beautiful. And part of Jesus not being toxic is is His command that we be a part of the local church, even when it is toxic. That yeah, that's important because I think a lot of people I hear my age will say, uh, "I'm." I, I believe in Jesus, but I don't do the church. I don't do organized religion. Yeah. I don't do that. I, that's not me because that's not Jesus. And right. that, that, that doesn't even make any sense. That literally is Jesus. No. Jesus literally yeah. said, I'm in, I institute that he literally gave the words of institution, instituting the church and then gave us a commission. But, but I do think it's important to, just to recognize that, man, there is toxic religion out there. Yeah. I do want to say this, especially to younger men listening, but this is also true for younger women. But one of the reasons why so many churches are toxic is because people who would could fight for the health of the church just leave. Mm-hmm. They see that it's toxic, but they don't take responsibility for it. Yeah. And my, my argument to that is that is itself a toxic behavior. Mm-hmm. When you see an institution that you should belong to and exists for the purpose of human flourishing, yeah. you see that it's growing in toxicity mm-hmm. and you refuse to participate in its restoration and reformation. Mm-hmm. I believe that is t- toxic to do that. Mm-hmm. So I think it's toxic to leave toxic religion Yeah. if the religion is true and if that institution should exist. So like when I was in college, I was a part of a church that I just thought was pretty intellectual. It wasn't really that interested in the university. Mm-hmm. The preaching wasn't very good. I mean, I, I had a lot of criticisms of this church right. and I was just so frustrated. And a lot of people in my age were just like, look, I'm just not going. I'm just not going to be part of church. Yeah. And I said, okay, A, do I believe in Jesus? Yes. B, do I believe the church is yeah. the bride of Christ and the body of Christ? Well, that's inescapable easy, if you believe the New Testament is, yeah. is revealing God. Right. Um, and so, therefore, the question is, what am I going to do? Yeah. Right? And the answer is, this is the bride of Christ. This is his blood-bought church. Right. Jesus is its head. I have to be, hey, I have to be part of this in such a way as to bring about as much restoration as I can. I've given my life to that because I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to, like, make excuses. Now, I have a certain kind of personality, but listen, I'm not a fighter. Like, 
I, I remember watching this comedy special that was honoring David Chappelle. Mm-hmm. And he said in his speech, he said, my mom used to say this. He said, sometimes, son, you have to be a lion so that you can be the lamb that you are. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I have no love for battle or fighting. I have a fairly sensitive temperament. I don't mm-hmm. I don't like fighting or attacking people. I tend to be kind of like an attacker because I was bullied so much as a kid. I don't give I don't give bullies an inch. I will fight to the death mm-hmm. because of those experiences, mm-hmm. but I don't like fighting. Right. Yeah. But so I, so I'm not, I don't, I haven't fought for the church for 30 years because I, because, the most enjoyable um, because I'm uh, like a fighter. I like, I'm just yeah. a hardcore, like D personality. No, yeah. I'm not. Yeah. I don't like fighting, but like yeah. somebody had to fight Yeah. and nobody would take up the sword. It's like that story when um, David's, David's men get routed by the Philistines and they're all running away and they're running through a barley field. And one of his men just stops and turns around mm. and, and like takes a stand there. Mm. And it just says the guy took his stand in the middle of the barley field and just struck down the Philistines as long as, as long as the day was. And it, and it basically says that yeah. like David's men like stopped with him and like rallied to him. But you can yeah. imagine like David running from, in this field, like David's literally running away. Yeah. Right. And one of his buddies, one of his like mighty men just mm. stops and says, I'm not running anymore. The Philistines can't have this barley. This is our barley. This is going to get us through the winter, not them. Yeah. You know, this is what our kids are going to eat this. Yeah. And so he stops and he fights. And so everybody, everybody stops. You can't just leave the guy there. Right. So they all stop yeah. and they make their stand and they win a great victory. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I just felt it was like one of those moments. Like you have to decide, are you going to be one of these guys who's in Saul's army hiding in the holes when Goliath right. is yelling at the church? Or are you going to be this man who's running through a barley field and just decides you can't have our children. You can't have our Mm-hmm. You can't have these people. You can't have Christ's sheep. You can't have the ones mm-hmm. Christ shed his blood for. I won't give them up. Mm-hmm. I will stand in, in front. And, and if a few people do that, oftentimes others will rally to them. But somebody right. has to decide they won't run one more step. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, so when I had my deconstruction moment, I decided I wasn't going to run. I was going to fight. Yeah. The, the, to the point about young men, I think that one thing that, that they'll find uh, young men and women who w- – come to the church and realize how dysfunctional it is and just want to get to leave right away. Mm-hmm. I, I found myself in that situation three, four years ago at high point. Uh, because I think, I think because I'm incredibly critical, but I was just really frustrated with high point and churches in general. Mm-hmm. And I think I, but I, but I didn't know, like you're saying that it was, it was important to be a part of the local church. So what yeah. I realized in that, if I was going to stay and and through the years of staying at high point and doing my best to, to, to be involved and try to change things when I can is a lot of my preconceived ideas that the, the ideas that would have turned me away four years ago, a lot of those ideas were rooted in a misunderstanding of the people that were in the church. I, I thought that nobody mm-hmm. cared about anything and they're just a bunch of just control loving morons who just want to mm-hmm. control everybody and what you find out is running a, a local church is freaking difficult you're just filled with a lot of people that don't care there's filled with a lot of people who do care and it's just a lot of people with different opinions and it's a difficult difficult thing to do and when you get involved into it the, i think the reason why a lot of young people want to run away is because they want to run away from things that are hard and difficult to deal with they don't they, it's not because they we find reasons to to get ourselves out of it but yeah so and that reek of normal and ordinary yeah right cuz they're and afraid it, it's going to be boring right and what i found is that it's it's it showed me more about myself than it has uh showed the church 
it's the church has showed being involved in the church has showed me more of what I need to do in my life to become more godly than it has showed the church what it needs to do to become more godly. Like, I, I didn't come to the church and, and everybody at the church were like, Oh wow, we really need to just do what Andy says. No, it was you're like, you're so right. Yeah, you're so right. No, it just showed me things that I need to do with myself. And I think that bitterness towards the church is bitterness towards, towards Christ. And so yeah. you have to deal with that. And, and people don't realize the healthy nature of like when younger people stick with the church, but they bring the heat. They're like, why is this like this? Why? Like, yeah. why? Like you, cause like you stuck with the church, but you brought the heat. Yeah. Like you, you know, like older people who are trying to do a good job, mm-hmm. they don't want to disappoint those people. Like yeah. they're like, you know, what is true yeah. about that? And do I need right. to change something? And right. generally speaking, even if you don't know what the change mm-hmm. is, if you're like, this doesn't seem right. Yeah. Sometimes you can work together with people who are right. older and who have wisdom to right. make it better. Well, and it, it, it does reward itself after when you stick with something like to this. Now, you know, three years ago, nobody would listen to me about anything. But now I feel like I, I can try some new things. And mm-hmm. some people at the church will take seriously the things that I say that I think are going wrong. I don't think that mm-hmm. would have happened four years ago. I think that they would have just nod their head and then went to the next meeting. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, so I think that that's an important thing uh, for young people. Also, uh, yeah, so I mean, can we go back to three? So yeah. I think it's important to recognize that some people who have quote deconstructed their faith, mm. they are, they did just grow yeah. deconvinced with Christian faith. They like, they like, there were questions that they had. They could not find what they thought were adequate answers so far to the point where they believed they needed to leave the faith. And, yeah. and I, I wrote in here, I thought one of, my, one of the more famous examples of this was the YouTube folks, Rhett and Link. Yeah. Because my kids watched them. Yeah. And I let them because I heard they were Christians. And I was like, well, and, and it was like funny stuff. Yeah. It was mostly like, you yeah. know, can you, can you fry this? Does yeah. this fry? Yeah. Right. And like, yeah. can you turn yeah. this into a donut? It yeah. was like kind of silly stuff yeah. like that. But o- over time they like came out, like, and we we're just like, we were, we were Christians. We're not anymore. Yeah. And um, for, uh, I think it was Rhett, his issue was evolution. He mm-hmm. was in a part of the ministry of crew where mm-hmm. the like evolution could not have happened was like, and it was stupid and wrong and, and a conspiracy mm-hmm. was a really strong idea. And he just like couldn't roll with that. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately he felt like, and I think for Link, I think he's a little bit more of a sensitive personality. I, for him, it was like trying to empathize with LGBTQ people. He just couldn't, mm-hmm. he just couldn't affirm a Christian sexual ethic. Interesting. Right. Uh, yeah. And I think, I think they're, they're both, I, I mean, I feel like I can psychologically deconstruct both of them if I look closely enough at their story. Yeah. But I, I think we have to give people a certain amount of like dignity yeah. in saying they became deconvinced and so they shouldn't pretend they have faith that they don't have. Right. Now for them, I think there was a huge financial incentive to not be Christians anymore, to be sure. honest. Sure. And there was a lot of personal pressure of followers yeah. And like all that kind of stuff. But I I don't want to pretend though that like I know their minds and I can completely explain. I can say why I think Rhett's view on evolution and Christian faith is wrong. And I think I can, I can say why I think Link's view on whether or not you can have empathy towards LGBTQ people and believe in Christian sexual ethic is wrong. Mm -hmm. But I want to give them the dignity of their own minds because Mm -hmm. I don't want anybody judging me that way. 
Yeah. And to say, well, the only reason Nick believes things like that is because of blah, 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 blah. Right. Well, and I, 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 I will always take an opportunity to uh, deconstruct uh, college age ministries when I, when I see it. <laughs> so I, I think in the, in the story of Rhett and Link, they were also the, like I have a quote, like quote, the guy, they were the guys at crew. I mean, everybody knew them. Everybody talked about them. They went to the conferences. I think they were just a big deal at crew. I mean, cause obviously they're big, they're like really good at talking to people. They, have millions yeah, of subscribers funny. yeah there's yeah. funny people love them um i think that i've actually seen that in madison uh with some friends of mine where who who were the guy at crew who de- completely deconstructed their faith and walked away from everything because mm-hmm. and it's not this is crew this is a bunch of different college ministries i think when you put people who should be asking questions on a pedestal as people who have all the answers you're setting them up for failure. And I think a lot of deconstructionism is going to come out and is coming out of college age ministries because they're not set up in a structural way that allows for young people to grow in their faith. They're set up yeah. in a way that, that, that grows people in pride and arrogance. And that's yeah, what happens. This is, this is one of those conundrums. Like I said before with parenting, do you let kids ask questions or do you rule an iron fist? And what are the liabilities of each? I think this is one of the difficulties with um, student leadership, mm-hmm. right? Like, right. You want people to grow and lead. In leadership, yeah. And you want students to reach students. Right. But at the same time, you want them to lead with what you're telling them and you want them to lead with the things that you tell them to do. Right. Right. If you're crew or any college ministry, right? Which crew is really heavy on evangelism and personal discipleship, right? And so what ends up happening is people end up stepping into leadership and they know that they're kind of a hoax. They know themselves and they're like, or they grow in pride right. or both, which right. is, I think, one of the reasons why it says in First Timothy to not yeah. make someone who's a novice yeah. an elder. Right. Right. And I think that's kind of your complaint is that when yeah. you treat younger, young students mm-hmm. who are essentially novices and you give them the work of doing ministry, almost like they're an elder, though not technically. Yeah. It can have this dynamic where either right. pride can grow in them and they can fall under the condemnation of the devil, as that verse says, or they can feel like they're kind of a fraud because they're yeah. answering questions they don't have answers to. Well, because they and are. And they're disabling people ways, at yeah. levels of holiness they have right. not attained. Right. Yeah. And, and they're, it can they're, be really difficult. Right. It's really difficult because they're, they're, they, they become the, they become a fraud, but they didn't really become that by choice uh, because they became a Christian like two weeks ago and they're now asked to be a leader of a small group. Right. And you're like, if you weren't a Christian before, you don't really know how it all should go. And so you think yeah. in your head, well, this is probably what Christians do. And so you're put into a really terrible situation. I think, yeah, yeah. I, I just think the system of crew is really bad. I, I think the people have been taken advantage of. So younger people have taken yeah. advantage of. I, I do think it's important to recognize um, bad solutions to like things that are bad because they're the best solution in a bad situation and things that are bad because they're a bad solution to any situation. And, you know, if you imagine like the church in Corinth, when Paul goes and plants a church there after a year of discipling people, let's say who becomes the elders of that church, you know, Hmm. like everybody's pretty green. Yeah. But like somebody's got to lead, you know? And so on some level, one of the, we've, felt this at high point church, right? Cause like the, we are a intergenerational church. Yeah. We live in a place where people are constantly moving out of town for piles of reasons. Yeah. So almost 50% of our church has been here less than three years Yeah, man, at a, at a, a, at a church, in a church yeah. family. It's over a thousand people. Right. right. So this is difficult because like we all, we have to have small group leaders and we have to have volunteers. And we have to have all these people who are leading. And in our church, we're like, everybody's moving away. Mm-hmm. 
right? We don't know these people. They haven't been here long. And some people are newer to the faith, right? And this is really difficult. And I I see this with crew. Like this is a ministry. This is true for navigators and everybody, right? This is a ministry where like the longest you have people is four years. Right. Usually it's less than that. And you're trying to create a self-perpetuating. It's trying to have family. It's trying to like be the human race and survive when the life expectancy is 22. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like, yeah. I like, look, I accept that they're in a terrible position. Now right. you might argue, well, one way to fix this is to have church-based college ministries. Yeah. Or, or like be directly connected to a local church. Right. And yeah. Do the, do right. the thing that's that what, like the I mean, Bible that's what Salt Company, you know? like um, docks a church. Like yeah. th- that's what, that's their belief. Yeah. Obviously Blackhawk has a college ministry, yeah, but I'm not st- sure how intergenerational their college age ministry is. I want to say it functions more, like a youth group. They're a little bit more, uh, I, I know my friend is heavily involved and they're, they're more intergenerational than something like crew. Yeah. They, they are, so, uh, they also like, they go in and they like, they end up, eating up all the other wherever they end up going like in iowa like Mm -hmm. crew and all these places iowa state or something like that they don't exist anymore after doxta goes it's crazy because they they just grow so fast and rapidly and and then these other campus ministries die so yeah i I can't tell yet with salt company if it's because they recruit like ex-professional d1 athletes who are tattooed and look cool yeah Yeah. or if it's like a model thing or if it is because they're connected i can't tell yet i'm not i'm not trying to like run down salt company or doxa like uh, you know we're friends with rob here and so on but like but i I just i don't know yet i don't know enough about the churches but i guess what i I would say though is is that i do think probably local um Mm -hmm college age ministries more collect, connected to the local church are probably better. Yeah. And so crew, crew and intervarsity and navigators is, and Chi Alpha are going to struggle with that because their parachurch, which the cool thing about that is that you could have 20 churches involved in those churches. The problem is, is that when it's 20 churches, it's no church. Right. What ends up really happening is no churches get involved, which is really sad. And it's just I don't know if that's confusion. crew's fault. Nah. But anyway, the point is relative to like Rhett and Link. Yeah. Right. When you promote somebody to a certain place, yeah. that can be its own toxic religion because if you put yeah, a novice in a right. place of leadership, right. that can have a highly detrimental effect to them. Yeah. Right. And right. so it, that's really important if you're listening to your staff worker. Um, we're not trying to hate on that stuff. Right. Just like, like one of the things I noticed in college ministry when I did is I have to pay, pay, pay special attention to those leaders. Yeah. Otherwise, they can easily become disillusioned. Don't assume that that leader is doing fine. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like and when they ask questions, and really try to, yeah. really try to be heard, there for them. What I've heard recently is that when people try to ask questions, there's no tolerance for it in, in, in certain college ministries. And that's what makes me yeah. sad because I'm like, uh, if they're asking questions, that means they respect you and they care about your opinions. Yeah. And they're really trying to figure their, their faith out. And the Bible says to work out your faith of fear and trembling. You should be really trying to figure this stuff out. And mm-hmm. so just accept their questions. And if you don't know the answer, say, I don't know, but try to at least work through it with them or something yeah. like that. You know? Yeah, I have heard that about some of the college ministries at UW that there if there's a very strong authority and it's centralized with the staff workers. I've never experienced that because even though I was in a group that was called Crew, and when I was in college, it was Campus Crusade. Then um, yeah. we didn't have a staff worker, so I was all by myself. So there was no no yeah. authority structure. So you but were I, the epitome of what of of the problem, <laughs> this yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but but I think it's important to recognize that like also those students are supposed to be mostly doing school. Yeah. You know, and, and so college ministry is like an extracurricular. Yeah. And so they're not really supposed to be pastors that they're supposed right. to like fill a role because they're supposed to spend most of their time in class and studying some time building friendships, maybe yeah. finding a spouse, right. you know, and maybe reaching some friends for right. Jesus. And this, those staff workers are there to try to give that leadership. And can I and, say a lot of them shouldn't 
get a communications degree like (laughs) (laughs) they just shouldn't they should be doctors or something or they should be in different fields you know that rant of mine and i think we should save it for another time yeah yeah. yeah, we'll save for yeah. So, okay, number six on our list. Oh, we so one it. is number five on our list is some yeah. people are just totally bewildered and are overwhelmed by all the stuff that they're hearing out there. Yeah, some people deconstructing their faith isn't really this like long intellectual process. It's really a change in their intuitions. They feel like, um, man, Christianity used to make sense to me, and it just doesn't make sense to me anymore. Mm-hmm. And that really isn't like an over being overwhelmed by a certain number of inputs. And how that like really affects people deeply and they don't realize why they're losing their faith. However, I do want to say this, yeah. your intuitions are being governed by information you're taking in that you're struggling to process. And so that new feeling that like Jesus doesn't make sense anymore, that makes sense to you. It seems right. That yeah. doesn't make it right. Right. You know this is I mean? where it's wise like, counsel comes yeah, into play. It's kind of like, I mean, Stockholm syndrome is a good example of this. Your intuitions are you should fall in love with your captors, the people yeah. who took you hostage. Yeah. But that's because the situation has overwhelmed your intuitions and your emotional experience of the situation. And yeah. you've because of the stress bonded with that person, yeah. and because of that psychological dynamic, it's telling you something is true that isn't true. Yeah. And so that mm-hmm. just that feeling that Jesus doesn't make sense to me anymore. I used to believe in just now I don't. Yeah. I would say you need to get to the bottom of why that's happening. Before you walk away from Jesus. Right. Because that wasn't an intellectual question. You didn't quote, find the truth. You just, yeah. your feelings about it changed. Maybe right. that means your original faith in Jesus wasn't very strong. And maybe your faith does need to grow and be reconceptualized. Yeah. But be careful about that meaning that you just need to walk away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, I think we got to end this one, but this is just part one. We have a lot more written down, uh, which we're going to go through next week uh, as, as well. So so yeah, stay tuned. I know we there's there's a lot to talk about under the umbrella of deconstructionism and Christian deconstructionism, and mm-hmm. uh, we got through a good chunk of it today. But uh, yeah, yeah, uh, and I want to encourage people. Don't I wouldn't go around saying deconstructionism because when you say that yeah, word, people think of the 1960s and later literary critical theory connected to Derrida and so on. And I would just refer to deconstruction as a thing. Like, and I, I usually say Christian deconstruction or deconstructing your faith or people deconstructing the faith. Mm-hmm. I think people then know what you're talking about. Sure. Okay. Deconstruction. Some people will be fancy pants intellectuals. They'll be like, well, you don't clearly don't know what deconstructionism is. And right. Yeah. Then it's just technical and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. So, yep. 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 Which is, which is good. Um, okay. So if you like this podcast, make sure you like, subscribe, share this with your friends, follow us, give us a five-star rating and leave a review. And we will see you guys in the next one. Goodbye. Yep. Yeah.